1: Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome in to the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast, presenting only the finest in minor league coverage throughout all organizational levels of your Colorado Rockies. We've got a jam-packed one for you today, featuring insights, oversights, and foresights with the Riley Pint Retirement, which is our marquee topic for the show. We're going to get right into this, and we're probably going to, we can probably talk about this for hours, quite frankly. My name is Justin Wick. I am an editor for Purple Row and joined, as always, by my co-host and Purple Row staff writer, Mr. Kenneth Weber. Kenneth, we've got... Let's let's just... Where, where do we go with this? The marquee fireballer throwing 118 miles an hour is officially no longer on the books. What's next for this franchise right here?
0: Well... So this is the uh, the second and final Riley Pipe Roundup. We kind of expected this to be a little bit longer of a running segment, but apparently <laughs> this is it. So, um, you know, it's it's a shocking development out of the whole thing because there were a lot of eyes on Riley Pined just to personally start succeeding. The expectations had to be let go of because for you know four years we've been sitting here waiting. For him to turn the corner as a predominant starter in the minor leagues who is starting to fill that fulfill that ace potential it never came around so at this point you accepted the fact that he was going to be a reliever you hoped that he started turning the corner and just started stringing together consistent appearances as a developing reliever and he was doing that so With this news coming out, it's not necessarily a matter of his production, of his ability. I think a lot of it is coming from the personal side. And if you look at the quote from Zach Wilson, he probably really just lost a lot of passion for playing the game, for being involved in the minor leagues, for, you know, developing himself in a career in baseball. And you can't take shots at that. That's a personal decision. But for the Rockies... It doesn't change the fact that this guy was the fourth overall pick in the 2016 draft. Goodness, there man. was a lot invested in this guy's future to be the anchor of a pitching staff, and that's no longer going to happen. So, so what do you do? There's so much
1: going on. Yes, and there's a lot to unpack on this. He put together 166 and a third innings in his entire minor league career. He walked 163. So we're talking about almost exactly one walk in inning. And I mean, in my own baseball experience, I'd know how dismal walks can be. I mean, much less 163 of them when you're putting that together. Mm -hmm. I think you are spot on talking about kind of the personal sense of this and you can't take shots at that. At the same time, you know, I, I desperately feel for the guy because he was such a highly touted prospect. He had so much invested in him and you know say what you will about they put 4.8 million dollars into him in the fourth overall selection very cool you know that's a big deal but i think something that people just dismiss easily is it's easy to look at this and say he needs to contribute he needs to do really well if you're putting that much money on the table but how much is the inherent pressures of when you start realizing that you're worth you're pushing half of eight figures at that point in time when that's the investment that's in there When you realize that you're walking so many guys, I think that it's pretty clear to say, you know, if your passion's declining because you're walking one guy an inning and you're getting paid almost $5 million to do it, that's very lonely territory. I definitely feel for the guy, especially on the heels of 2020, an entire canceled minor league slate. He kind of got, a, I hate to say, a taste of the outside world, but this was kind of what life was without baseball. He's still training. He's hopefully turning a corner. He started to look, in my humble opinion, a little bit better this year than he had been leading up through when he was drafted in 2016. But there's just there's so many what-ifs here. There's so many what could have been. You know, I, I hope for the best for the guy. I'm thrilled that he has a little bit of a financial cushion that he can kind of fall back on. But at the same time, you know, I just I hope that this doesn't pan out to kind of being a life of regret kind of thing, because that's the last thing you're looking for for a guy like that. And I hope he's good. I, I, I mean, that sounds super sure. sensitive of me, but I, I hope he's all right.
0: Well, you sympathize. You you absolutely sympathize because anybody who just loses passion for their work in general is something that I think we can all inherently relate to, uh, uh, you know, on personal levels. But I also, you know, advocate that people put themselves in his shoes, you know, try to empathize with his situation, because if you look at 18 year old you and are handed nearly five million dollars from your employer with the expectation that you're going to, you know, maximize that investment five, ten times over, whatever the expectations are of you, while also having to live at outside of your home for the first time and have the stress of basically having to perform and you know it just be a personal inflation for a organization like that's kind of some lofty expectations that's a lot of pressure as you were alluding to and that's hard for everybody to live up to and i think that when we talk about like high school draft picks this is where the the term polish or refinement and a high school versus a college pick comes into play because they've had a college experience they've matured a little bit more as people so there's a little less wild card that can often go into a college versus a high school pick well man Riley Pint was you know put in as raw of a spot as possible high signing bonus already you know a lot of um, wrinkles to iron out with you know how his performance could translate to professional baseball. And then, you know, 18 year old with five million dollars in their pocket now and the expectations that they, you know, triple whatever multiplier you want to use the investment that the employer gave them. That's a pretty hard, you know, pretty high bar to live up to in the first place. Um, So you feel for the guy. You really do. And as you mentioned, you just you you want for them to personally find happiness and success. And if it's outside of the game, then it's outside of the game. So you I I you and I respect that decision, to say the least.
1: Yes. And particularly too, you know, if you already kind of feel like the organization is distancing. I hate to say distancing themselves, but I mean, it wasn't like they were going to cut them entirely. You get so much invested in them. We're going to keep them around. Didn't protect him from the Rule 5 draft. I suppose that was to be expected, but, you know, he's he's 23, though. Like, I mean, he was 18 mm-hmm. when he signed. Like, that's something, when you look at the college pitchers that the Rockies were able to get in the last draft, those guys are about the same age of what Riley Pint is right now. So, yeah. I think just the harsh reality is, you know, you handed this kid everything that he ultimately did ultimately received at 18 years old you're sitting back on 4.8 million dollars and i mean i for one my college experience i can only imagine what i would have done with 4.8 million dollars at the age of a little of 18. different story when that bank account is that big <laughs> and just i mean i look at it going you know i was trying to prove myself in a college setting hopefully going as far as i could but he's trying to prove himself in a professional setting to justify why he opens up his bank account and finds out that this is how stable his entire future is realistically getting so something that i thought was really interesting as well jeff passan his book the arm it was released i believe 20 i believe it actually was 2016 before pint was drafted and mm-hmm. one of the featured players in this book was riley pint talking about him growing up in kansas as a, as a high school pitcher and the model for this was Protecting arms. The arm, the book itself, titled The Arm, is talking about, you know, the epidemic of Tommy John surgery that's happening at such an increased rate, and how much do you need to protect arms in that capacity? And the book talks in length about Pint really protecting his arm in the sense of, you know, when you're throwing 102 miles an hour at the age of 17, 18... What are the provisions that you need to make to ensure that your signing bonus is actually a protected asset, that you're not just throwing it away in a high school setting if you happen to get injured? So Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, you're as cautious as you are with a guy like this. You're definitely cautious with him even when a pro organization gets their hands on him. You keep kind of just holding the reins back a little bit going, how much can we really get out of him? He's an electrifying arm. I know stories about when he was pitching in Asheville that it was one of the most exciting pitchers you would ever see just when he was on anyways. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, you, you put all this together, and it started getting me really thinking, you know, you never really got to, I guess you never really got to see him in just an overflowing competitive style of, every time that he played, it was just, you know, you're in a low leverage high school setting, you're in a lower Mm -hmm. leverage rookie ball setting, you know, not that those don't necessarily matter, but you know, you're working up towards the big league ranks of, this is strictly developmental all the way through the minor leagues and I just, I feel for the guy because, you know, if you go to, let's say he goes to a Division 1 school, he works out the kinks maybe pitches in a regional, he actually gets a taste of what the passion is for the game of, you know, you're actually competing on a team that's really putting an effort together to win. It's not to say that you aren't putting that effort together in the minors, but when the emphasis has been so long his strictly development and the competition hasn't necessarily been the... The competitiveness and the winning side hasn't necessarily been... The outright priority, I think that could definitely cost somebody their passion for the game when you realize that it's no longer really about going out and competing when it's strictly about developing, and I think there's a really delicate line to touch on, and I'm wondering if that I certainly don't want to speak for him because we don't know, but I wonder if that's part of the reason that some of that passion started to go away.
0: When you read the scouting report for Pint 2 coming into the draft, there's a lot of kind of being out in the wilderness too that that speaks to your point he's from lenexa kansas that's right there's not a lot of you know high-end talent coming out of lenexa kansas <laughs> uh, on a consistent basis this isn't a florida kid this isn't a california kid this isn't a texas kid who's pitching against the highest competition day in and day out um so there was a lot of you just see the raw ability and you let it ride You know, that's so that that was already the unknown with Pint coming into the draft. He was a commitment to LSU. So it's not like there wasn't that program in place if he didn't, you know, sign, if he wasn't a top five pick, which is a virtual guarantee to sign unless there's a weird Brady Aiken, you know, medical (laughs) team won't sign him situation. Um, But it, you know. It's, it's why the high school pitcher has the stigma of being so volatile, because everything that could go wrong kind of happened in Pint's situation. He came from a small town. He was thrown into the spotlight a little bit. He hadn't faced nearly that same competition up to that point in his high school career, and he didn't have the chance to kind of experience some things outside of you know the hometown, you would think, before just being thrust straight into a full-time job um, of, of being a professional pitcher. So, you know, you, you can sit there and you can put your best guests together day in and day out and, and you know, try, try to figure out what really happened, but we're not ever going to get that full story. All we know is on a personal level, Pint just, you know, wasn't there for it anymore. Wasn't having fun, wasn't enjoying it lost his passion whatever it was and instead of him really kind of having to go through the tribulations to become something within the Rockies organi- organization it was best for him to move on and that's what the Rockies position is now they have to you know the, the way I put it in my piece is he's going on with life outside of baseball and now the Rockies have to go on with life without Riley Pine. that's the reality of the situation now
1: sure and especially I mean If you look at this, and I mean, I guess the thing that I've been hung up on the most, knowing what we knew in 2016, we backtrack a little bit, we start to realize, you know, raw kid, you make a great point talking about he's in the middle of Kansas doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Looking back on it, if you had to put yourself in the shoes of 2016, I know, erase anything that we've learned over the past five years, would you pick him again? If it were you in charge and he was available, would you pick him?
0: You know, it's hard to say no to it and, th- and that's <laughs> the interesting thing about it though is like it's not that he was this egregious reach in the draft it's one thing when you look at 2006 with Greg Reynolds Yes, Greg Reynolds was fine as you know a mid to late first round talent but Greg Re- Reynolds was a stretch at the second overall pick and he was a pick out of need within the organization it's, it's a huge bust overall because they reached for a guy that wasn't quite in that space in that number two overall spot, and it didn't pan out. And then you watched Devin Longoria have a borderline Hall of Fame
1: career. Yeah, and so, who was it? It was Clayton Kershaw and Max Scherzer on oh, yeah. the backside. I, yeah, even Jabba draft. Chamberlain. Man,
0: <laughs> <laughs> give me something better than Reynolds. Jeez. But like, so that that's that's the reach. Now, you know, I, I'm just looking at the rest of the the list, and if we look at a couple of different pitchers that are in there too, you have Matt Manning. You have Cal Quantrill, you have AJ Puck, who has sure. been electric, but has had his own problems with injury as well, too. So, yeah, you know, Gavin Lux is is doing it for Los Angeles, but 15 other teams passed between Riley Pine and Gavin Lux as well, too. Yes. So, he, I would do it over again. Yes, I would wish that there's a better system in place for you know, this to not happen necessarily. Um, for a high school arm to, to be exposed to some of these things. But based on talent alone, I still don't disagree with the pick.
1: I would second that, honestly. And it's funny, I'm kind of a sucker for really good storylines in that sense. You know, you've got a kid out of the middle of Kansas throwing a one 2 mm-hmm. I think that the Rockies really struck gold in the sense that you were able to pull John Gray and Kyle Freeland out of the draft. And there was a lot of forward thinking. It started to, I guess... I realized at the time we might not have necessarily seen it because we didn't know if those guys were going to pan out either. But I think it started to really speak well on the scouting presence that the Rockies were putting together, that we actually put together con- consecutive first-round picks. We had two guys that joined the starting rotation. Year three of that set, we go out, we get Riley Pint. I was on board thinking, you know, if Freeland and Gray are continuing to progress the way they are, maybe we can kind of trust in where the scouting is going, and we're going to go out and get a high school kit. This is, sure. I'm assuming they know what they're kind of looking for, and it just it makes you reconsider everything, just in the wake of how that goes together.
0: Yeah, it, it does, but it also scares me that the Rockies become, or any organization that this happens to, just too puts too much of a blanket over don't do this again. And if they just look at high school right-handed pitchers for, now on and say nope we're not going down that path again regardless of how talented polished great this kid is as a high school pitcher we're not doing it well if you have that mentality then you don't ever draft a Clayton Kershaw
1: yes yeah, so or you Quinn pass Priester, on a guy like Zach Vean or something like this in the yeah, draft. Quinn
0: Priester is doing great in Pittsburgh he was a high school pitcher selection as well too if you just dismiss this grouping of players from here on out because it didn't work out with Pint, then you're doing yourself a disservice. You're now narrowing your search too far, and you're going to have more misses because of it. So it didn't work out. He's not the first one to not work out. Sure. He won't be the last one. It, for you know, Colorado natives, there was a big prospect coming out of East High School um, in the early 90s, Jason Peterson, who was selected 15th overall by the Cubs. He had horrendous control issues as soon as he got to professional baseball. He, you know, washed out in a similar capacity that Pint did as well, too. It didn't work out for him. But there will be other guys along the line who will have that pedigree, who will have that skill set that make them a viable pick at the position that the Rockies are picking at, and they can't just dismiss it because it didn't work out. You know, it's going to happen. Sure. That's the risk that you run, but, you know, some of them will work out. You might get a Kershaw out of the deal next time. So keep keep plugging away with it, and um, the last thing that I want to get to is I think that the the common narrative with what's going on right now, a lot of people look at Tyler Matzik's situation. Um, a lot of people are going to look at okay, well he's 23 as you mentioned. There might be a day in the future where Riley Pine decides to come back to baseball, and if that's the case, the Rockies are at least doing the right thing in you know from their. Uh, development standpoint of leaving the door open, respect his decision, let him move on, do whatever it is he's got to do. Hopefully if he comes back, he will be with the Rockies. So we'll see five years from now when you and I are getting gray hair and we're talking (laughs) on the podcast still, if we're talking about Riley Pine again, it could happen. But for now you just have to accept the reality that he's gone and he may be gone forever in professional baseball. And that's just, that's a sad thing as a baseball fan, because you want to see the young guy, Throwing absolute gas there on the Goodness. mound, and you want to see him succeed, too.
1: We are very hopeful that Riley Pint will be the newest rendition of Daniel Bards in Colorado Rockies history.
0: Let's do it. We'll tape on the number on his back. Maybe that's the, uh, the magic <laughs> That's trick. the key.
1: That's the magic recipe right there. And I guess if there is one organization to bring back their former players, it could very well be the Colorado Rockies. We saw that through Matt Holliday through Yoli Chassin, through Chi-Chi Gonzalez non-tendered. We've got the masterful workings of that. You never know. I mean, you honestly never know. And at the same time, you know, it's it's very difficult to distance yourself for it. You know, maybe that regained passion does come together, however that gets, however, that ends up ultimately happening. At the very least, you know, you got $4.8 million of a cushion. You might be kind of holding on to that and a little bit of regret going, what could have been, but... You know, it's a whole lot easier to regret something with a lot of money in your pocket as opposed to regretting something without a lot of money in your pocket, so I guess that's kind of Definitely the humble makes life way of easier. looking at it. Yeah, that is very true. And certainly wishing him nothing but the best, it's absolutely dismal to see that this is finally coming to an end. I was very excited to follow this guy, especially after the 2020 season was canceled in the minor league ranks. Finally started to turn a corner. It isn't the corner that we have ultimately hoped now in the end, but... We'll see where it takes us, and hoping for the best on behalf of everybody here, for that matter. Best of luck in a 23-year-old retirement for Riley Pint. I guess that's absolutely. I, I mean, retiring at 23. I mean, that's there's something to be said about that. I guess. I mean, I realize no, that's not what he's looking is. for.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's not getting the normal minor league pay too. There's <laughs> there's that money in the account already. So I'm just personally go out and find you know what makes you happy, Riley.
1: Go out and enjoy, enjoy life, man. And if you need somebody to help spend a little bit of that money, I know two guys on this podcast that'll help you out.
0: <laughs> hey, if you need to play some uh, some ball in the summer too,
1: we got we got the men's league, <laughs> so give me a shout there too. Could you imagine just Riley Pint coming and carving up Denver Men's League?
0: <laughs> hey, man, I could imagine a Triple A championship for us if
1: he does. It's a short drive from Kansas, man. If he ends up back home, absolutely, that'll be our special. <laughs> we got Tyler guest. Sample out there
0: once before too, so hey. <laughs> There's precedence. Tyler Sample, he was
1: carving it with the Pirates, too. That's such a big time. Oh, man, you should see
0: him against amateur men's
1: league ball players. (laughs) We want to talk about carving. We cover it all. We cover all sorts. We cover minor league analysis, and we cover Denver men's league here on the Pebble Report podcast.
0: (laughs) Anything and everything.
1: (laughs) We'll take a short break. Coming up next, we'll talk a little bit about the AAA pitching depth. The Albuquerque Isotopes have recently lost Ryan Rollison for about a month. Due to appendicitis, they also lost reliever Zach Roscup to the 60-day injured list not too long ago. The team allowed a lot of runs in their recent set against the Las Vegas Aviators, and it hasn't really looked as well in their current set. We'll cover it all coming up after this break. You're listening to the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back in to the Purple Row Pebble Report podcast. Um, We just cranked through the Riley Pint section. We're going to crank through some other... This is kind of kind of be a downer, I guess, because now we're going to talk about how deflated the pitching depth is. We're going to cover over some AAA action. The Albuquerque Isotopes have not necessarily been faring particularly well. They've given up 5.5 runs per game in their set with the Las Vegas Aviators. They just gave up a 10 spot in their last game. Just the other night. It's it, it's running thin. We're looking at a Colorado Rockies team that recently lost John Gray to the injured list. We've had Chi-Chi Gonzalez fill the void. He looked particularly, I mean, gen- for being non tender last year, he looked very good for a guy filling in the rotation for Kyle Freeland. We're now looking at, for those of you that checked out the game on Thursday night, Chi-Chi Gonzalez did not look very strong, giving up a sixth spot in the second inning. We're gonna cover Ryan Rolison recently had his appendix taken out, and it looks like he's gonna miss about one month. And we've also lost Zach Rosscup on the 60-day DL injured list, excuse me, in AAA. So we're looking at you know, where do we where do we turn? Where do we go on this? This is just scary. Um, I don't know.
0: Is <laughs> is kind of the, the the scariest part about the whole thing. So like Rolison obviously was the one who was. Having the best trajectory to be that next starting pitcher to be able to come up to the to the Rockies and support that, and he you know he and Pint made up a pretty bummer of a day this past Tuesday with Pint's retirement and then the news that Rollison was having his appendix out. The appendix, man, it just it's a human being where the appendix just blew up. That will happen. Um, he'll be fine, but it's not good news for the immediate future because you're looking at John Gray having his recent injury with it, um, and you know the the, talk, the clock is ticking on how long he's going to be around. So if we do need some of those immediate reserves from AAA, uh, this Las Vegas, or this you know uh, recent stretch here is showing that there's not a lot of depth to pick from. We're looking at basically. Derek Rodriguez, who was, you know, some of that depth um, coming up in spring training. And he has not done well at all. He has a nine ERA and four games started. And the other one that we've seen a lot of over the past couple of years is Ryan Castellani. And that's worse than ever at this point. He's got six <laughs> games started. I mean, he's got 24 earned runs and 27 innings pitched. He's got 26 walks in 27 innings pitched. So that's an absolute dumpster fire. Do you want to bring that up to the major leagues? No. Do you have many other choices besides him? Not really either. So, yeah, that's that's what we're facing in the near future here.
1: I thought it was particularly, I guess, concerning is probably the best way to put this. When we looked and saw what Chichi Gonzalez was doing after he got moved into the bullpen, it wasn't necessarily being fared very well. I wondered if it was just, you know, an interruption to his routine. For the most part, as a starter, he had been pretty stable, I think, for... <laughs> the first month of the year he had the second best era among rocky starters so really putting himself Mm -hmm. out there and had a really good showing i was thinking you know maybe if we can preserve some normalcy we stick him back into the rotation and see what he does again while Gray's out and then at the same time you've got yoli chassis and it's kind of your safety net which i mean he only throws was it once every 15 days right now
0: or something (laughs) crazy yeah he's a part-time worker
1: Jeez, man and I mean, especially just seeing that, I mean, yes, it is taking a roster spot. And, you know, my outright kind of concern when they brought in Chassin was, is this going to kind of harbor the development of some guys that are in AAA? But you take a look at what they did. We'll just go back from Sunday. They lost to Las Vegas 11-8. to Monday, 8-9 to loss. Tuesday, 4-5 to loss. Salt Lake on Thursday, they lost 4-7. to like, we're not, we're not talking about very strong campaigns right now, and it's definitely suggests, you know, these are supposed to be the most polished arms that you have in the system, and we're not really talking about very polished details. I think that it was very fun to see that maybe Ryan Rollison was going to show that he was more polished than we initially thought. I feel like if he's comes in and absolutely dominates the A slate, he could definitely be the next one to make that jump, but I know people have kind of touted him as a guy that's going to debut in 2021. But now we're looking at, you know, you mentioned Derek Rodriguez and Castellani. Jose Mejica is in the mix, but he's mm-hmm. thrown I mean, I at least from what I've seen, he hasn't been throwing particularly well at all. I think he was given probably the most short straw in twenty twenty that he possibly could have received coming off a town. He's given
0: up thirty nine hits in twenty six innings. Crazy. So he doesn't have nearly the walk issues that Castellani does. The problem is he has a propensity for um, throwing baseballs that get hit very hard, very often.
1: And let's call it what it is. If you're getting shelled in Triple A, you're probably going to kind of get shelled in the big leagues. I hate to put that Not a way. good omen. But that's just, speaking of that, I, mean, I guess the Mahika category. We pick him up from the Rays. He had Tommy John. I missed all of 2019, which was mm-hmm. the worst possible year ever to have Tommy John surgery mm-hmm. because one year of rehab turns into a canceled year of baseball, and... So he did throw, I mean, he had two appearances in the big leagues last year, didn't really get a good draw, he was just doing mop-up work, the final game of the year in one of those outings, and I was finally thinking, you know, he's been in a professional setting for most of his life, I believe he joined the Rays organization when he was 17, and now working his way through, he's amassed about 7 or 8 years of professional service, and now it's turning into where does the routine necessarily go and was 2020 such an interruption for that kind of thing so something i thought maybe as a collective for the triple a setting is this regained sense of normalcy now we're finally back into a routine sense of we've got a normal minor league slate on our hands but we're also talking about the most refined players in the organization in triple a that might take a little longer to get back into the routine. At the same time, it is also the middle of June right now, so how far do we get patient with it? The season was delayed a month, yes, so we're only about a month and a half in. Maybe it's going to take a little longer, but is there any way, seeing that Zach Roscup is down, seeing that Ryan Rollison is down, is this only going to make it worse? And can we kind of, are, are the cards against it for that normalcy to really return again?
0: I think so, and I think that that's also a byproduct of just the way that the Rockies farm system is set up right now. There's a lot more talent and a lot more depth in the lower levels, in the A-ball stretch, than there is in AAA and AA right now. So you understand that it's a short period so far that they've they've had game action, and you understand that there was no 2020. So you give the benefit of the doubt to some degree— that there's going to be some some kinks. However, man, the starting pitching is not giving you really anything, aside from Rollison before the appendix burst. It's not really giving you anything to, to be optimistic about. Um, if you look at the A side of it as well, too, that goes to show that it's getting pretty thin on that side. When you look at, you know, the A ranks of who could possibly come up to AAA and provide a little bit more reinforcement on that front, uh... I'm not really seeing much outside of Garrett Schilling. That's that might be able to help out. And Garrett Schilling is not somebody that's necessarily ready, I think for that triple a jump either. So there's not a lot in reserve. There's not a lot of good performance up to this point. And then what good performances you do have, at least on the starting
1: side, uh, just had their appendix burst. So no kidding. of all times. Goodness. We just ran and happened to run into it right now, man.
0: But I will say on that note, on the bullpen side, there are some good things, at least. So when we're looking at the other side of the coin on the pitching staff as a whole, you guys, you know, Jack Winekoop is having a pretty good run out there. Justin Lawrence, who's had his times in the Rockies uh, Major League team, he's at least performing in AAA when he's being set back down there. So so that's at least something to feel good about, too. Ross Cup was doing it, but as we mentioned, that's no longer a possibility. And then Joe Harvey, who we'll get to, You know, he's been a dude down there. So there are some reserves, but they're really all in the bullpen
1: until Rawlison gets gets healthy again. It's definitely kind of disheartening to take a look at, you know, if this is indeed the final year that we have of John Gray. This could be the kind of thing that, especially as some teams are making some push down toward the trade deadline, I certainly would imagine Trevor Story and John Gray are going to be on the block, perhaps rightfully so, given that this is, let's call it what it is, it's a rebuilding state at this point. At the same Mm -hmm. time, the Rockies are kind of navigating territory with an interim general manager, but Bill Schmidt, all the while, is very involved in the minor league ranks. Is there a sense that we're going to kind of identify that there is some deficiencies within the upper-level depth ranks of the Rockies' system? And when you look at where the AAA status currently is, I can only imagine, you know, I mentioned, I'm definitely thinking that maybe they're going to turn a corner and they're going to start looking a little bit better into July, but when you're starting to run thin, you know, you do need innings eaters at some point throughout the minor league schedule. I mean, there's a lot of games that you're playing right there. I realize that, yes, it is developmental, but the fact of the matter is you've got nine games that are nine innings every day that you need to power through or else you're going to start running thin and your guys are going to get tired. So I think that was kind of the concerning sense when you see that Roscup and Rollison are down. When you also have guys like, you know, I don't anticipate Castellani's going particularly deep when he's not throwing any better than he is when Mahik has given up more hits than he has innings pitched. That's definitely not the kind of guy that's eaten up a big chunk of innings. And, you know, maybe the reliever side, it is a little bit more dependable than the starter side right now. But at what point when your starters are getting pulled in the fourth inning or something like that, do you have to say, you know, Joe Harvey, we're going to need you to go two innings today to be able to get it through? That's There's kind of a delicate balance there. And I'm curious, I guess where I'm getting with this, at what point do the Rockies decide in order to protect the assets that we currently have, do we cash in some big league chips in order to kind of protect what's going on in the lower levels?
0: You got to think that the trades, you know, the, the presumable trades of story and gray are going to have to fill minor league ranks. They can ask for major league ready pieces, you know, until their ears bleed, but these are rental pieces at the end of the day too. So um, they're definitely in a position where they're going to have to start filling out some of that, that minor league depth on there, but you know, I I don't see I don't see it being wise if the Rockies look at the triple A and double A situations on the pitching staff in particular sure. and say, Okay, we need to address these areas with these traits. No, you get the best return that you can for Gray. And for Story and for Givens too, who is also going to be on an expiring contract and probably a trade piece. So that's another you know pitcher that will probably have to be replaced. You get the best pieces in return to make your major league product better. Three, four, five, whatever length of time, years from now it is. So um, you got to have patience. You know you. This is the the bed that the Rockies made, and now they kind of have to lie in it. Um, I think when we saw that all that we had in spring training for pitching depth was Derek Rodriguez, Chichi Gonzalez, and Ryan Castellani, <laughs> you kind of saw this this happening, you know, and it's happening sooner than we expected, yes, but that's the situation that you put yourself in, so now, now you got to deal with it, and when we're talking about AAA, how many years have we seen it where the Rockies are off to this strong start, and then the end of June comes and the bullpen is Absolutely gassed because the starting pitching is not doing their thing. Well, how much are you going to put the isotopes pitchers in that situation out of the bullpen? You're not out there aiming to win A championships as an organization. You're yes, out there of course. trying to win major league championships. So you have to preserve the, the bullpen arms and make them as ready to contribute to the big leagues as possible. If that means Jose Mujica and Brian Castellani have to go out there and wear it for six innings then that's that's the way it has to be but you know when you don't address those death issues in the first place this is the problem you run into and that's exactly what the Rockies are looking at
1: yes and you know you mentioned if if it ends up being Mahika has to just power through and just kind of eat up a big chunk of work I was actually kind of surprised to see that Chiji Gonzalez threw as many innings yesterday as he did and it starts to make mm-hmm. me kind of curious is this going to happen in the big league ranks I realize that you know, the Rockies' bullpen might be kind of depleted, especially if you've got a guy like Yoli know, Chassin that even when he doesn't pitch very often, he gave up a three spot last night on Thursday. I think that it's it's concerning to see, and I mean, that's something that I've kind of been curious as far as the current roster construction on the 26-man roster itself, when you've got a guy like Chassin taking up a spot, essentially. I realize you can't necessarily send him down as a tenured big leaguer, because it would be just an outright get rid of them. But Mm -hmm. if we outright get rid of them, that's kind of – it's either him or Derek Rodriguez right now. (laughs) So where are we going to go with that? Um, Take your poison. Yeah, no kidding. I suppose it's kind of an enlightening sense when you see how long is it going to be that Carl Kaufman or Sam Weatherly or Chris McMahon, are they going to start really breaking the trend? I know we talked a little bit before the show talking about in Fresno and in Spokane it's a lot more brighter spot, and we have some guys that could potentially progress into at least Hartford and possibly expedite their path to the big leagues. The road is there. There is definitely a chance that these guys could make a serious jump should they actually prove that they're in a good position. And, you know, we talk about Riley Pint being a very raw high schooler. Well, we've got a lot of refined collegiate arms that have really developed themselves in, I guess, a pretty a pretty strong sense throughout their collegiate ranks. So... I don't know how long it's going to take, and I think the scariest part of a rebuild is realizing that there's a window in between the Carl Kaufman and the current status right now that you want to tighten that window as close as possible, even if it just be for the, the sanctity of people tuning into this podcast, just mm-hmm. we want to make sure we've got something to speak on behalf of, but... I think that it's interesting. We don't know how long that's going to be. We're hoping that that time limit or that time frame is going to kind of close in on us a little bit. But at the same time, at what point do you really try to, I don't know if you want to part with a guy like John Gray just to get you by for the time being. I guess you could always haul in a guy like Tim Melville at this point in time. Mm -hmm. But is it even worth, do you consider just a big league kind of a, a big league ready replacement? Should you let's say you cash in the chips and let's say you you send a bunch of the return for let's let's say Trevor Story is indeed out of the mix, you get a bunch of high A prospects. I think that would be certainly a viable way to at least develop for the future. You've got that window of Carl Kaufman and Sam Weatherly coming up through the ranks. Do you invest in that, or do you kind of invest in a little bit higher of refined player in hopes that? can kind of bridge you towards where you want to be
0: it depends on basically what the rocky strategy is um personally i go for i don't the the a-ball guy i go for the guy that i'm highest on to produce the greatest value once they become a big leaguer because if the the mentality is we're not that far away we're just one pitcher one you know position player of depth away from being that competitive team then you target a little bit more of those closer to the big league ready products in the minors it's hard to make that argument for the rockies right now it is is my problem with the whole thing um so you know that's that's the two strategies you go for the best player available that you think is going to be the best big leaguer which is probably going to be an A-ball prospect if we're talking about a rental piece in Story and Gray. If we're talking about the trade in even the off-season or last year with either of these pieces, okay, now you can pick and choose a little bit more because teams are going to be paying a higher price for a year and a half, two years of control for those guys. Nope, now we're looking at a couple of months. So, you know, Manny Machado was traded for pennies on the dollar. Sure. Pretty much. And he's one of the best rental pieces that we'll ever see get dealt in a trade deadline. So that's what we're looking at with Gray Story right now. Um, You know, there was no 2020 was was the other part of it when we're talking about um, what could change, what you know, what players could be on the horizon that could help bridge this gap a little bit. Just from an internal standpoint, I look at somebody like maybe Ryan Feltner, who could make the jump into double A a little bit sooner than we expected but you got to get these guys their work because they had at best some alternate side work site work last year and that's it so you got to get them back up to speed and do the right thing for their development if you end up getting somebody in the higher ranks in the higher levels out of the story and grade deals great it fills a little bit of holes in those but you know my in my humble opinion you got to just go with what you think is going to produce the best
1: uh, big leaguer and that's probably going to end up being an able prospect when we talk about those trades Certainly, and I think a good thing to think about that as well. We saw what it kind of was expedited if we put Jose Mejica into the big leagues too early. If we jumped him up too early, Mm -hmm. now we're seeing that he's really kind of getting licked around against some more refined players. You start kind of chasing into it when you realize that the depth is getting pretty thin and you realize that there's not really anywhere to bump these guys up other than the ranks that they're currently at. Go and get the low A, get the high A pieces, allow them the freedom to progress as they see fit as they continue to at least refine themselves against some other hitters that are doing the same thing in those lower ranks. And that way, you don't necessarily shoot yourself in the foot when you realize that even if the depth is running thin, perhaps it is best to keep these guys where they're at and keep them going. Um, at the same time, the Fresno Grizzlies just swept a series against the Visalia Rawhide last week. <laughs> so 6-0. and you know, there are bright spots going on right there. Fortunately, you know, we've, we've got one of the hottest teams in professional baseball that's actually coming through the ranks. We'll cover that a little bit here in a minute. Um, mm-hmm. You actually start to see that, you know, there is some good baseball being played at the lower ranks, especially in low A. And, yes, it's going to take a little while, but where do you go? This is just amazing that an interim GM is being handed the pieces to see the direction of where this is going. But I think as far as, you know, I realize it's not necessarily the marquee time to be a Rockies fan right now when you see what else is going on within the division, but this could be a major turning point as far as the future outlook for where this franchise is going to go because there's very much, we're in a huge gray area of we're starting to see kind of some pitching deficiencies at the higher ranks, but we're seeing some really good refined pieces at the lower ranks or at least suggesting they're refined for their levels. But you're going to start to run into a lot of kind of, you're either going to strike gold if you bump them up and they throw as well as they have been you might kind of at least be cautious towards moving them up too early because then if that starts to kind of run thin that's something to be cautious about but at the same time I can only presume that whoever is going to be the next general manager of the Colorado Rockies is sitting and waiting intently hoping that everything goes as well as possible until at least October or November when they're finally named
0: yeah no absolutely and the the Rockies have had the, uh, the dishonor of being a bottom five farm system for the past couple of years, too. Look at Fresno and look at um, Spokane right now and notice that that is trending upwards. At the very least, that is something to be optimistic about. You're seeing Drew Romo on the offensive side really start to turn it on with it. You're seeing the pitching down in Fresno being just savage the whole time. Um, so the farm system is on the rise and the lower levels are at least showing that right now. So that's something, you know, to, to at least look forward to with, with the state of the franchise.
1: We've got plenty to look forward to. We've got plenty to be able to follow. Even if that means you're just kind of watching Fresno and Spokane a little bit more intently than normal, at least there's something to speak for. And at least there's depth somewhere. We do have pitching depth. If we look forward in the organizational levels. <laughs> you have to squint well, a
0: little bit, but it's there.
1: <laughs> it is there. Believe it or not. We're going to take a nice little break here in a minute. We'll finish up this program with our rundown for the week ahead. We'll map out the win-loss records of the recent history. We'll map out the travel schedules for all four affiliates, and we'll name our breakout player to watch. We'll send you guys off into the world beyond that. We'll be back right after this break. This is the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report podcast. We're going to crank through our weekly rundown. We'll look at the week behind us. We'll look at the week ahead. We'll look at all four affiliates. We're going to start all the way at the top, Triple A Albuquerque. Last week, they went two and four at home against the Las Vegas Aviators. We mentioned the pitching struggles just a moment ago. It's not been a very good showing necessarily. Fortunately, we had an off day on Wednesday, so maybe that's going to restock the system a little bit. They opened up their series with the Salt Lake Bees on Thursday night. They lost 4-7, to seven, so another 7 spot. We're definitely hoping that there's going to be some sense of a turnaround. Um, when they're finished up in Salt Lake, they're going to take I-80 West to Reno, Nevada, Greater Nevada Field. Big shout-out, great venue. If you're a casino guy, highly recommend Reno, <laughs> Nevada for a AAA town. So I got family Toronto. out there,
0: man. Reno's awesome.
1: There you go. You got Lake Tahoe up against. You're all set. That very underrated town, if I say so myself. The biggest um, little city in the world, I think. That's right. Like. There you go. Hopefully that it's going to be a little bit more bigger pitching staff for Albuquerque when they roll in there in a couple days. We've got Double A Hartford. Last week they went two and four against the Bowie Bay Sox, Triple i I'm sorry, Double A affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles. This week they will go to the Red and Fightin' Phils, which if any of you want to take a guess what affiliate that team is for, I'll give you a hint that it is not the Mets that is the, the AA affiliate of the Fighting Phils. I'll take Blue Jays? <laughs> if you don't know by now, go ahead and Google that one. Nonetheless, Hartford is currently 1-2 and two against the Red and Fightin' Phils goodness that was spot on that was good right there (laughs) um double a hartford they've allowed 19 runs in three games so far this season um they've allowed 30 runs in their last four games but they are two and two over that span so there are some bright spots to look at offensively might be some very long games if that trend keeps continuing of a lot of offense and not a lot of pitching like i don't know what the hell's going on right there but you know, if I'd like really like
0: it. to see the win probability chart, those graphs, <laughs> just to see the peaks and valleys from inning to inning uh, over the course of those four games
1: because that just seems wild. We need double-A fan graphs. That'd be the go-to. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants me they to invest to. in that, count me in, man. <laughs> Hi-A Spokane, they went 4-2 and two against the Tri-City Dust Devils last week. This week they are taking on the Vancouver Canadiens. So far they are 1-2 and two in that set. Um, they just shut out Vancouver 8-0 on Thursday, however, so talking about a little bit of cool pitching depth at the lower ranks, there's definitely some high some high ceiling. We're looking really optimistic. They just saved a lot of arms. Good stuff rolling into the weekend. Um, on top of that, cool travel schedule for Spokane. They had two straight weeks of home games, and then they head to Tri-City, Washington, which isn't too far from Spokane after that. Like, if you're a fan of the bus leagues and you're a fan of short bus trips, you know that's that's it's not too bad. Just twelve. I'm thinking
0: scenery. Days. Spokane probably has the best the best ride of, of all of the affiliates.
1: If you go up, I mean Washington and Oregon in that league, and it's, even when Vancouver's open, that that might be pretty prime. You know, we're looking at some mm-hmm. pretty good setup right there. So if you're a bus league fan, highly recommend up in the northwest. Good action. Meanwhile, Loe Fresno, talk about pitching strengths. They went 6-0, swept the entire series against the Visalia Rawhide. This week they are 2-1 at the Modesto Nuts. They're one of the hottest teams in all of baseball. They just won 12-1 on Thursday night. Um, My boy Isaac Collins is leaving the yard out of the middle of nowhere. Awesome stuff going on down there. And on top of that, a lot of cool pitching depth going on. That is your weekly roundup. We will be sure to keep putting this together week by week, covering all the cool details. That is your full rundown. And on top of that... As always, how we like to cap off the show, we're going to name a breakout player to watch. This is one player in the next week that could turn heads or could really do something cool. We had some pretty good selections last week. Kenneth put together El Huris Montero out of Hartford. He went 6-for-25. He left the yard a couple times, hit two bombs over the past week. Like, what do, you, what do you got? I mean, you put together a pretty good selection, if I say so myself. This is your guy right here.
0: Yeah, and I mean, so it's it's the... Development continuing to trend upwards with him. You can't always look at you know a uh, uh, six games and say definitively what he is or what he isn't. But you're looking at him. He's getting knocks in four of those six games. He's also drawing walks at a higher clip, which is the big thing that I'm on with him. You know, if he can just get that plate discipline, that plate discipline, that approach down, he's going to be a more polished big league hitter when the time actually does come. And I think he's still continuing to do that. So. Wait for your pitch, smack it hard when you do get it. He's doing that at least. So good good things out of Montero so far.
1: Yes, and very cool to see that it's very much a refined approach of what he's been showing in Hartford. Um, my selection last week, I went with the Regis Jesuit High School alum, Reagan Todd, out of Hartford as well. We went heavy on the Double A. He threw two and a third innings since our last show. He has not given up a run in those two and a third innings. Punched out four of the ten batters faced over the past week. Very cool to see that we're starting to see somebody that's suggesting some pitching depth in the higher levels of the minor leagues, we're starting to put it together. So that was our last week recap. Um, This week, Kenneth, you go ahead and take the reins. Who are you naming for your breakout player to watch?
0: So my breakout player to watch has already broken out, but uh, it's going to (laughs) be Braylon Eusebio over in Fresno. So when we're talking about all the, the awesome things that are going on with Fresno, he's been right in the middle of all of it. Um, you know, he's he's been in the organization for a couple of years, but he has just absolutely turned a corner so far this year. He has pitched, uh, so far this season, 37 innings to a 1.93 ERA with 40 Ks and 7 starts. He's had one start where he got touched up a little bit, and that was May 15th against Visalia, where he allowed four runs. Other than that, he's allowed one run in the past month. It's... All indicating that basically this guy should be in Spokane, and he is a little more advanced for the Fresno level right now, but as long as he stays in Fresno, I expect him to keep on dominating, so he's going to be my breakout, my guy to watch, because as long as he keeps on sticking it to low-way opponents, it's it's something that we should all be aware of as, as Rockies fans.
1: Definitely a contender right there, and especially you know when you look at kind of the non-refined sense of low A, if you take away that one start from Vesalia, that guy's throwing even better than his already exceptional figures suggest. You know, if you've got the ERA in the ones, you're doing something right, but when, when you realize you're going to start going sub-one if you just take one start out of the mix, that's not bad for a guy in low A. Um, I'm going to go up the ranks a little bit. I know we kind of hit hard, the AAA pitching depth, but there is one guy that I'm personally hoping he's going to see himself in a big league uniform, and that is Joe Harvey of the Albuquerque Isotopes. He has yet to give up a run. He has now surpassed 10 innings on the year. He's at 11 and a third innings pitched so far. Um, I don't really have much analysis other than he hasn't given up a run this year. I feel like that's about all we need to really cover on that guy's front. 16 strikeouts in 11 innings, too. That's right. There you go. He's the kind of guy, he got a taste of the big leagues last year. I was actually doing my notes on him before the show in our own Adam Peterson on Purple Row when we did our little Ranking the Rockies series. He had Joe Harvey at the end of last year. Harvey didn't throw very much. Very much a satirical piece of, yeah, we might not really remember Joe Harvey in the long run. Well, we remember him in AAA right now, and I'm really hoping Mm -hmm. that he finds himself into the big leagues. So that is our breakout, guys. Be sure to check out Brailing Eusebio in Fresno, hopefully Spokane soon. Be sure to check out Joe Harvey in Albuquerque, hopefully in Denver, Colorado pretty soon. And we'll hope that they have as good of a week this week as our last week of breakout players to watch. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Pebble Report podcast. Be sure to check us out on Twitter. Kenneth is at KDub1988. Myself at JustWick. Um, Purple Row, all over Twitter as well, at Purple Row. On behalf of my co host, Kenneth Weber, I am Justin Wick. Thanks again for tuning in to the Pebble Report Podcast. Let's play ball.